As the saying goes, 30 days has September, April, June, and November. So today, June 29th, makes it the penultimate day of the month as we approach the second half of the year. It's 1 p.m. on the East Coast, Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. You see Elizabeth Young there, decked out in her Milwaukee Brewer garb, waving to the crowd. You will see a similar wave when she hopefully throws out the first pitch at County Stadium sometime later this year. Number two, today's market call, of course, brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. And of course, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics powered by tomorrow. They're our data provider as well. Uh, Elizabeth's here. Dan is there. I'm sitting here on Parts Unknown. But that's a good looking rig you got going. And as I said before we started the show, EY, that requires a bit of a high pony, I think, to sort of accentuate sort of the accoutrement of that outfit. No thoughts. I'm, I might. I might do a high pony tonight. I mean, by the end of the day, I want my hair up anyway. So of course you do. If I, if I do a high pony, I promise to send you a picture. Uh, a hundred. Can we explain, I, though, why, why she's sporting this rig? She's heading out to what's the, uh, yeah. the city right. field? Going out to Shea tonight. City Field. Yeah. yeah, you love the old stadiums. County Stadium was taken down. Oh, New Park was, was built in its stead uh-huh. in a different location uh-huh. behind, I believe it was behind County Stadium. And now they even changed Miller Park. Now it's American Family Field. I'm going to call it Miller Park for the rest of my life. And I'm going to keep calling it County yeah. Stadium. So that's <laughs> how, wait, can I ask you, how did the Miller Brewing Company get outbid by American? Life. I want to know like, the same like, thing. Seriously, you're, this is Milwaukee. Thing. This is the home of Laverne and Shirley, and and you know, happy days. And I'm with you. It happened after I moved. I didn't get a vote. That I would don't know. piss me off. I, I wasn't happy. Um, okay, guy. Last week you got pissed off. I brought up the term stress test. Yes, you um, did. And and I really, for some reason, it, it, it created a visceral response. Like I was not prepared for how. I, outraged i was going to be you were outraged we, we weren't either yeah we were yeah. not you know, yeah. nor were the children listening to the <laughs> <No>. show <laughs> um so so let's talk here because it's a de- like the market to me as i'm looking at this guy and i do a 12 30 call as we prepare for our 5 p.m fast money program we do it with our producers our fine host our fellow panelists we're talking about things to talk about and it really today is guy it's a feels like it's a a, a day it's rates it's banks, mm-hmm. it's GDP. Um, it's also the second to last day of the month in the quarter. Um, you know, like look at the 10 year yield. I think we have a chart of that. That's a big move after yeah. this high consolidation. Is it about GDP? Is it about, um, you know, like talk to me a little bit because, you know, there's lots of things that you kind of have to start all of us, like who, like, and I'm, I'm not going to throw Liz in this thing. Thanks. Oof. You know, I mean, like some Not things it. are kind of coming together here, guy, um, you know, and uh, and so what is if the if 10 year yield were to break out because let's say recession is pushed out for 2023. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does it mean? What is what does this all mean, guy? Well, people will say that rates, 10-year yields are going higher for the right reasons because the economy is not slowing nearly as significantly as some of us think it is um, or the Fed wants it to. So they would look at higher yields as a positive thing. Um, They would, I think, probably submit that those higher yields in 10-year should mitigate the inversion in the yield curve, which, by the way, hasn't happened yet. So they'll view that as a positive. Uh, They'll view this rotation into the banks as a positive, suggesting that somehow, once again, they got through the stress test. And for for whatever reason, that seems to matter. Uh, So they'll take all those things. They'll put it in their uh, cauldron. They'll stir it up, put a little heat underneath it, and come up with the 
outcome that the market is on very firm footing here. And I get it. And the price action probably suggests, we'll look at the S&P in a second, but you know, we're still in this pennant formation, as this chart suggests. You know, the ranges continue to seemingly get smaller and smaller. I get the move today. Maybe uh, people were a bit offside thinking rates were going to go lower in the 10-year. Obviously, if you look, which the chart suggests, you know, we traded down to the 200-day moving average held and bounced. But you have to ask yourself, how does it resolve itself in this pennant? You know, I'll still suggest that Yields in the 10-year will go lower on the back of a flight-to-quality market sell-off, which obviously isn't presenting itself. But right now, to your point, uh, there's a lot for the bull camp to embrace. Four, Liz. What is a 4% 10-year after months and months? What, what would that mean for equities, do you think? Well, today, if you look at it, it looks like yields up, stocks up, yeah. right? And that's the kind of stuff that on a day like today, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me because what we've seen so far this year is a rally in that growthy stuff that should not actually react positively to yields up. So if we are truly in, if the optimistic case is higher for longer, stocks can withstand it, economy can withstand it, housing can withstand it, then at some point, I think yields probably have to come back down. But at this point, you know, it looks like they could head back up. And you've got Powell out saying two more, mm -hmm. right? Let's keep in Pretty mind, though, too. Emphatically, Pretty like emphatically. Pretty emphatically, yeah, yes. Yeah. Now, first of all, central bankers are terrible at predicting yeah, but, what they're going to do. But hold on. But when you're this emphatic, okay, yeah. you know what I mean? He was with all of his, his counterparts in Portugal yesterday, and then what he said today here. Like, they're doing 20, they're doing 50 basis more. They're, you know what I mean? Well, like, that's happening. I think that's the plan today. If they've been right? so concerned about credibility, for him to come out this way, and again, this is what, yeah. like um, two months or month and a half before Jackson Hole, a lot of people are pointing to that moment is like maybe they get, maybe they do the two, you know, consecutively because yeah. he did say that too, and then yeah. they pivot. Then they signal the pivot at the end of August. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So if nothing happens between now and the end of July, I think we get the 25 yeah. at the end of July. But again, keep in mind, we've got a big gap. There's not another meeting until September. So, yeah, yeah. That's a long time from now to assume that nothing's going to go wrong and that mm -hmm. no data is going to weaken. And even to assume that inflation is going to stay as high as it is. I'm willing to bet that we get some data that stops them or at least makes them hesitate to keep being that emphatic about we're going to hike, we're going to hike, we're going to hike. I think that's a message. And they absolutely mean that message today, given where the data is today. I am very skeptical that they'll be able to still send that message come September 1st. So, Guy, let's talk about the data here because, again, you know, we've highlighted, you know, some of the manufacturing data and so on. But, like, it, it's, like, barbelled by, you know, increasingly, you know, sticky-ish, you know, employment and, and, and the like. And, and a lot of people are kind of – and, I, listen, I'm just kind of playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, but I'm kind of, like, losing reasons to suggest that the economy is slowing in a meaningful manner here where, you know, where the jobs picture is. And it's really hard, and especially when you look at a lot of those inflationary inputs that we've talked about, all, you know what I mean? They're, they just, they don't, they're not sending the sorts of signals that we should be so worried. So I guess my point about Jackson Hole is, like, we get the J July, you know, 25 basis points, CME, Fed, fact, uh, Fed funds tracker mm -hmm. saying 80 percent chance of that mm -hmm. um and then maybe at the end of august they say all right we're going in September. maybe they say we're going in september right. and then and then you start seeing you know the the, the probability of any more hikes trail off I, I guess my point you, you get my point here guy it's like mm -hmm. 
what's going to happen? Of course, I get your point. Again, what if we get to Q2 earnings, okay, in the next three weeks? And July 14th is when the banks report. And then we're going to get into the, in the big tech. What if, again, the guidance is fine? You know what I mean? Like, why would you yeah. be selling stocks other than valuation? Everything you've just outlined, if under those set of circumstances, you're right. There's no reason to sell stocks. You're, you're obviously playing devil's advocate one. And the assumption you're making is, again, earnings are going to come out in line, slightly higher guidance will be fine. I will continue to push back. I think Elizabeth would agree. It's, there's an inevitability to this slowdown. There's an inevitability to earnings contractions, to margin contractions that almost by definition has to happen when you've hiked as much as the Fed has. And you'd said something as well. You talked about a pivot. I don't necessarily know they're going to signal that. I mean, they might signal that okay, now we're done. We're going to take a wait and see approach. But to think that somehow magically in the beginning or the middle of next year, they're going to start lowering rates. First of all, I don't think that's going to happen. And I would submit that if it did happen, it's because something is breaking around the edges. So lower rates sometime earlier, mid next year, is not necessarily a good thing. And they've been pretty steadfast. They being the Federal Reserve, get used to higher for longer. So Again, I'll, I'll continue to say I've been wrong in terms of the market. The market clearly has no interest in listening to that. But I will also say that every textbook I've ever read, article, listened to, watched, suggests something has to give, given what we've seen over the last 14 months. And think about it real quick. I mean, that's five. that will be then 550 basis points of hikes in I want to say 17 months or so-ish. Yeah. I'm probably off. Uh, that's unprecedented. And again, we didn't even mention talking about, you know, this inversion in the yield curve, which again, you know, is, is flashing all kinds of danger, Will Robinson, for you playing our home game signals. Yeah, well, okay, so a, a few things here. The optimism, I think, for, that's happening today, if we get kind of short-termy about it, GDP got revised upward. I think everybody knows that by now, but it's why it got revised upward, right? The personal spending went up. So the consumer stayed alive mm -hmm. in a big way. And I've said this many times, there is no such thing as a U.S. expansion without the consumer. And the consumer is still there and spending money, whether it's that they're spending it on credit cards or on some kind of leverage. We don't necessarily know, mm -hmm. aside from the fact that credit card balances have increased, but they're still spending it. So that means that they have some reason to believe that they can pay it back even if they're doing it on debt. Why do they believe they can pay it back? Because they're still employed and they're not worried about not being employed. As we get through the rest of the year, as inflation falls, and I've made this point so many times, I'm, I'm actually tired of making it. As inflation falls, so does revenue, so does pricing mm -hmm. power. Companies have cut costs so far quite effectively, I would say, especially in the tech sector. They've cut costs to preserve margins, which were already pretty wide. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's much more room to cut stuff without cutting people. So if we get to a point where revenues are under pressure, and I think this is the beginning of some of these earnings seasons where we're going to see revenue misses. We're not even going to be as focused on the bottom line because it's going to be top line misses because of that pricing power and because of inflation coming down. Then what do they do? Yeah. If they want to preserve their margins, they're going to have to cut jobs. And that's when it comes through in the data. But it's, a, it's such a late moving thing. And this is taking 
infinitely longer than I would have expected. And the market is looking through everything that I that I would have expected it should have been scared of. Yeah. And the one thing I'll just say, if you look today, you know, guy, your magnificent seven, they're all down. Okay. Um, I liked what the way you did that without even looking at me. Just you tried to just sort of push through it. I'm um sorry. that's I'm, fine. That okay, since wrong. you brought it up then, because you just looking to piss me off. I mean, it appears as though, by the way, Charles Bronson, who I love, one of the great actors, if you recall, yeah. he was in The Magnificent Seven. He played Bernardo, if you recall, and three kids sort of took him as their own, and they promised him that if he died, they would put flowers on his grave every day. And that's he. they told him that whilst he was still alive. And Bernardo said, well, I appreciate that. You know, Hopefully, I'm not going anywhere, to anywhere soon. Of course, then he was subsequently shot dead at the end of the movie. I mentioned this because it appears as though today playing the role of Charles Bronson in the Magnificent Seven, Dan, since again, you brought it up, is the great NVIDIA. Back to you. Yeah, no. But so interestingly, you know, you're hearing a lot of folks talk about like I've seen macro strategists, OK, market strategists change their tune about their outlook over the last couple months because of the promise of AI. And I think everything that you just laid out, Liz, let's just say there was like you could snap your fingers and you could increase productivity across whatever your business is. You know what I mean? Like that would only, you know what I mean? Kind of hurry the sort of job cuts, you know, pre pandemic. Remember we were kind of really focused on the robots taking the jobs and automation. And we were talking about universal basic income and all those sorts of things. And if you look at a lot of the investments that some of the biggest companies in America made, they really were, they dug into automation, they, they, you know, into, you know, vaccinated supply chains and this and that. What does that mean? That means, less people right so if you're going to gain productivity you're going to increase capex to lean into this this promise of increased productivity on the other side of that is less employment now you've heard people make these arguments all along for 30 years about uh, atm machines were supposed to kill bank tellers now guy still goes in and he writes a check <laughs> and he goes and sees mary lou at his local key bank he does and and she gives him a lollipop and she yeah. gives him back and, and, and what is wrong with any of what you just said Nothing. i'm just curious but the truth is is that bank tellers increased over time as as ATMs proliferated because the increased productivity and the, the more efficiency that banks were, they were offered to uh, offer more services and better services and that sort of thing. So bank tellers actually increased too. So that's kind of an interesting thing, right? So you hear AI could be, you could flip those letters around and it could be intelligence, intelligent assistance and stuff like that or whatever. Oh. So that might not be happening anytime soon and any real gains are going to take a while, right? Like for for companies right. to kind of move this stuff yeah. into. Let me unpack that for a minute because sure. I know the, the pushback we'll get is that AI doesn't kill jobs, it creates yeah. jobs. Okay, if you buy a company today or if you're a strategist and you're modeling out your outlook, if you're writing an outlook today, which I will write mine shortly, if you're writing it today, you're writing it for the rest of this year. This is what your second half outlook. You're second saying. half outlook, yeah. right. Oh, wow. Or you're writing it for a full year. Let's say the outlooks that come out in October, November are for full year 2024, right? If you're a strategist and you're writing that, and you're saying, I'm going to revise my targets upward or I'm going to revise my tune because AI is coming to change the yeah. world. It's not going to change the world by December nope. of this year. OK, productivity isn't going to skyrocket by December of this year. In the immediate term, it probably does eliminate jobs. And, and even just think about your bank teller example. I was a bank teller in college and at a credit union at a credit union yeah. so i guess we can't really call it a bank did you have a name did you have a name to, i know we're gonna i want I but just let me <laughs> still is <laughs> guy if you're playing along here yeah. little name tag liz yeah. landmark so credit union um anyway <laughs> the number of tellers may have 
gotten larger, or at least the yeah. number of people in a branch, right? But I think we can all agree the number of branches shrunk over time. There weren't as many branches to go to. There, a lot of banks did close things throughout the country because you could do so much online, yeah. right? And then we've now we've got the proliferation of fintech where you don't have to go visit anything ever, yep. right? And SoFi is a perfect example. You can get of your that. money all you can right get your in money one right app, guy. In the palm of your hand. Yeah. You have to visit no tellers. So over the long term, it probably does create some new jobs, right? That long term is not in 2023. It's probably not in 2024 either. And again, there will be companies that do it well and companies that don't do it well, the ones that are left behind. Whatever people are invested in today, maybe NVIDIA is the one. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not. That's a lot of people that would get caught on the wrong side of that. So it's just a cautionary tale of investing in a theme is a at, at best two-year thing, I would call it more of a two- to five-year thing, depending on the theme, maybe even a 10-year yeah. thing, right? And you have to wait for but, it to come to But fruition. Guy, you know, it's interesting. Liz just said something um, that, that just stuck with me. You know, she said that AI is not going to change the economy. It's not going to change the workforce in 2023, maybe not 20, but it changed the stock market. This sure year. it did. And, and, yeah. and that's the one thing, yeah. again, you know, that like I think the three of us feel like we have a pretty decent handle on, which I clearly, you know, it kind of blindsided me because I tend to fade hype cycles and that can be really painful in the here and now. But I also think about over the course of my career, that when you're in these sorts of moments like we're in right now, it feels really bad if, if just intellectually you're fading it, but if you're doing it with financial products, it could be really hard. And, and that's been both for me right here. But I also know that a year from now, we're going to look back and be like, oh, I was right. Like, meaning like the hype is faded. It's just, it's uh, it's been seeped out of the market. And the thing that kind of sucks is that I think, Guy, you and me coming into this year, we were hoping that we would have another test of the October lows, that sentiment would just be at, at a literally generational low, that we would have had a protracted bear market that started in many cases in the mid-2021 period. And then you could say, then a new bull market can emerge based on new themes. You know what I mean? Right. But not like it happened right now. And, and maybe I'm just, I don't know. I'm just curious your take on that guy, because that, that's the one thing that, you know, if we're back below, if we're at 3,800 in the S&P 500, you know, then people like me and you got like the near-term price action really wrong, but we were probably like, like directionally right about a lot of things. Yeah. So embedded in that, and, and I appreciate those comments, embedded in that is the sense that I continue to have that with each day that things sort of grind higher in this sort of unabated way, it actually makes what I think is going to be the inevitable. And again, this is just my opinions, what I think the inevitable that much worse. So to your point, if we had taken our market medicine when we probably should have in terms of the timeline the setup would be much better. We never, we have not taken any of the market medicine at all, effectively since the middle of December of last year. So what is that? Seven, seven months or so. And, and here we are still doing the grind. Nothing's changed in terms, in my opinion, in terms of the fundamentals. What's changed to your point is the perception around this um, potential, you know, new market, new total addressable market that everybody throws out there. And the, the the amazement that I feel when on a, again, look, the guide from NVIDIA from $7 billion revenue to $11 billion for the quarter was significant. But effectively, on the back of that guide, they probably tacked on, and I'd have to go back and look, but I bet it's about half a trillion dollars in market cap, which is astonishing. 
Well, I, I mean, listen, it's it's a half a trillion from the January lows or so. You know, just on that from 300 to 400, you can do the math with the trillion dollar market cap right now. Okay. It's a few hundred. Okay. Like, like, like again, you know, $4 trillion guide higher and you gain $250 billion um, in market cap. Like that's a little bit um, insane. We've seen this movie before. We know how it probably ends. At some point, people, that gap between 375 and 300 will get filled. You tell me where the NASDAQ's going to be. You tell me where the S&P 500 going to be when that happens because, um, you know, in the history of markets, almost every single gap gets filled. All right, Liz, you wrote your note. Um, you want to talk about seasonality. I'm going to let you talk about the title of it because I really think <laughs> you had Guy Adami in your sights here um, on this one. But the note starts out talking about how July 4th is your favorite holiday. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with the fact that there's a holiday that we celebrate here on July 3rd at yeah. Risk Reversal Media? A really important holiday, Guy. Wouldn't What's you say that? July 3rd for us? What happens? Oh, oh, July 3rd. In July, I won't say the year, but July 3rd is a special day for us here in the risk reversal um, media family because July 3rd, this coming Monday, which is a half day in the market, Elizabeth Young will be celebrating her birthday. So I think on this Thursday, Dan, and I want everybody in the chat just to yeah. say a wish Elizabeth the happiest of birthdays. Again, celebrating an early birthday out there and flushing this evening. Yeah, and, 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 and by the way, for any of you guys who want to get more personal, we'll, we'll put her address in the show notes <laughs> so you guys can send sock puppets or whatever you want. EY from SoFi. Somebody was going to send me that Yount jersey. I'm Didn't just, I ask for that yeah, last I, week? I'm just kidding. We won't do that. All right, Liz, talk to us. All right, wait, what, what was the inspiration for the title here? Was it just a twerk eye a little bit? Well, because I do love the 4th of July, okay. and it's to me it's like the, it's the middle of summer. It's when the weather finally turns to summer. It's when I start to celebrate summer. It may be a half day in the markets on Monday. It's a full day off for me uh, and most of the week. So yes, I do love the fourth because of my birthday and I blame my family for that. And I talked <laughs> about Summerfest last week, which is that big music festival, sure. festival in Milwaukee. They do fireworks on July 3rd, yeah. which for the longest time until I was old enough to figure it out, my family told me were for me. So <laughs> I believed them. What, a, what else would a seven-year-old think, right? So anyway, I love the fourth of July. So I had to do a summer themed column this week sun's out cash out and mostly this is about the seasonality and look i am not a big believer in using seasonality as a reason to buy or sell anything i do recognize that there are patterns that if you average really long periods of time together there happen to be patterns in the market summer is usually a time when everybody goes through a period of rolling vacations so there's not as much activity there's not as much trading volume and that can make for a pretty chill kind of vibe throughout that three-month period where nothing really happens. Or if you have a shock, it can make the shock even more exacerbated because there isn't as much trading volume. So if we are in a place where we're kind of primed for some sort of shock, maybe it's an upside shock, I don't know. But if we're primed for that because valuations are extended, we've got a Fed meeting coming, all of the things that we could line up as the uncertainty that faces us, summer is not a great time for it to happen because there's not a, a whole lot out there as far as liquidity goes. However, if we can pull up some of the charts, let's look at some of the returns. Interestingly enough, and I'm going to just absolutely 
irritate Gaia Dami to no <laughs> end with this. So first of all, I want to make it clear. I split up these seasons into what I want to call them, not into certain quarters. So winter is December, January, February. Spring is March, April, May. Summer is June, July, August. And fall is everything that remains. So, you know, that whole thing about what do they call it, guys? Sell in May. No, oh, please don't. Wait, 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 Why, you two rehearse this before. What is, wait, what does guys say at the end of April? Like clockworks? Yeah. Sell in May and go away. No, I, I've, I've never, I've, never I, been said. I just want to be crystal clear. I've never uttered that phrase in my life in that context. I've said that people that say it uh, should be basically tarred and feathered, but I am not one to sort of bring it up in that capacity. But please continue. Mm -hmm. Well, and tarred and feathered, according to this chart, is probably the right thing because it doesn't even really work generally speaking. So look at the summer returns. You've got large caps and small caps. They're almost tied on average over a long-term period. Summer is rivaling winter as some of the best returns in risk assets. And the only reason that winter is so strong is because January tends to be a good month in the market. So summer actually is a friendly environment for stocks. And it could be that this summer ends up being friendly for them as well. Because we've gone up so much, we had such a standout spring Summer might just be more of a sideways, but not necessarily negative environment. But it's interesting just to look at this from that sort of seasonal perspective and know what we're going into. I don't know where sell in May and walk away came from. I don't understand what the premise of it is because I can't really prove it anywhere. <laughs> but realistically, summer should be a friendly place. And then we can go to the next chart and talk about just basically volumes. Here's what I was talking about before. So the av that dotted line is the daily average trading volume on the S&P 500. You've got pretty active trading in that sort of springish period. And then it falls off after May and it gets kind of subdued. Really interesting though, which has not much to do with summer. Lowest trading volume is in September, which also happens to be the month when you see some of the lowest stock returns. Mm. So if there's low liquidity, low volume, and you've got shocks that happen, maybe summer isn't what we should be worried about. Maybe it's more that fall period. And that would be if if Powell is correct, that would possibly be the last hike that the Fed would do. I also tend to believe that the Fed surprises people in fall. So we'll see. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean surprise people? Like, I think that if there's an unexpected move by the Fed, it, for whatever reason, it feels to me like it happens more in fall. Or maybe there's a mistaken verbiage, mm -hmm. right? Something that was said that had an unintended consequence. At some point, September, October, November is, is usually when that kind of stuff happens. It's interesting. I've never been one to, you know, there's, I've never been able to ascertain whether or not that whole selling may go away by Rosh Hashanah or selling, whatever it is. It actually is, it's, it's built in, in actual factual uh, information. So Elizabeth's work suggests exactly that. But what surprises me most is the lack of volume in September. I would have thought just thinking it through that September would be people coming back from the summer, September, when things sort of get jacked up again. So it's interesting. And we'll see again, all this just leads back to, you know, what are we in the midst of for the market? I mean, the market continues to do the chug. Passive investing is still clearly working uh, with each day. The bearish side of the equation looks more and more foolish, but it doesn't mean the reasons for being bearish have gone away at all. And so that's what I take from some of this, Dan. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to just highlight um, a chart that actually looks a lot like Liz's charts, the similar coloring. Doug Cass just sent this to me. And um, I think it's interesting. And if the people can, uh, our peeps can pull it up here, valuations and real rates diverging further. Mm -hmm. and, and I think this is really kind of the story when we were just talking about, 
you know, kind of just the different narratives that are competing a little bit. And I guess the, you remember the question was, well, well, why would you end up selling stocks? I mean, if you really do see this blowing out, okay, this, this divergence, um, that would be, I think one of the main reasons that like, you know, what we just mentioned, the, the, the magnificent seven can't go much higher because valuations are so stretched, right? Even if you have participation now by industrials, by financials, um, maybe energy gets back on its horse, that sort of thing. It really, really is going to be a tough challenge, I guess, relative guy. Does that make sense relative to um, the, the concentration of those top seven or eight names? Or something? How does this resolve itself? I mean, this goes back six years, I want to say, and you can see the correlation has been extraordinary throughout that period of time until recently. Um, I don't know necessarily what's changed, but I will tell you what's changed. Obviously, real interest rates yeah. continue just to get bludgeoned. So, you know, the Equities are clearly looking at something that the bond market yield curves um, are, are suggesting to complete, complete the opposite. And I don't know. I, you know how I think this resolves itself by that. Would that be considered aqua, that color that's going higher? Anyway, did you say this is Doug? Ka this is my chart, actually. Is it? Well, if maybe Doug forwarded you. My chart. Is it? <laughs> All right. Definitely it looks like we one of your charts. Mario and I Do tweeted this a couple okay. days, so days so then, ago. So then but, he just, but that's it. So how does it resolve itself, Elizabeth? Right? Yeah. I mean, valuate. I no. would submit that, you know, valuations have to contract. <laughs> Can we find Liz's tweet here, people? I mean, like, I was like, this is like a Liz Young chart. It is. Yeah. You're right. It no, is he, a Liz Young Doug chart. Is, Doug is very good at citing folks. Yeah. I mean, like. No, I'm uh, sure he yeah, meant to yeah, cite it. I'm yeah, sure he meant to yeah. cite it. So um, we did this. If this, So the magenta line is the 10-year treasury yield inverted. And typically, as you see yields go up, you see stocks go down. And obviously, there's been this huge departure recently, which just doesn't look normal in an environment. So how does it resolve itself? Well, we could have the same question about the market cap weighted S&P versus the equal weight cap weighted S&P, right? Does the bottom one come up or does the top one come down? Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to that. And frankly, every week that goes by, the divergences like this get bigger. I'm scratching my head as, you know what? I, I'm not, anything could happen at this point. Like I'm, I'm so confused about why the market has been able to see through some of this. It could just look like a short-term thing when we look back on it. And that's yeah. sort of the funny part about looking back at it from a forward perspective is just, oh, that only lasted, you know, six months. It seems like a flash in the pan. Yeah. Uh, but while it's going on, it feels like six and a half well, years. Right? Guys, guys made this point that so much of this year and, and the, the, the stocks powering it on the market cap weighted has just been multiple expansion around a narrative. I mean, that's something that we keep talking about. And sooner or later, that will um, have to correct itself. And it, you know, here's another thing, and this is a, a very serious comment. You know, I've been off Twitter for months now, and one of the main uses for me for Twitter was it was a great RSS feed. Like, I got to curate who oh, I sorry. wanted to follow. Oh, what was that? The, the, and all right, yeah, yeah. You, you, don't worry, no, guys. I, I, Stay with us here. But, okay. but like, for instance, you know, I got to follow all these strategists or investors or like some of these anonymous accounts that I thought were very reputable as it related to markets. Guys, like, remember we used to do um, Carl Quintanilla tweets all the time, guy? Like, we'd start market call with that and we don't do it anymore because I'm not 40 them because I'm not on Twitter. That's one thing I kind of really miss. I miss that tweet from you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm like yeah, back yeah. to 2006 trading here. I get emails, you know, from, from my friends like Doug and that sort of thing. But to me, that's a really interesting thing. And I, I suspect you guys are spending less time too on the Twitter or no? Are, are you? I mean, no, not necessarily. Not, no. I mean, it used to be every day, all day long. Now it's, you know, if there's not a ton of other stuff going on, yeah. um, you know, it, 
the environment. Do you engage has, with people a lot on Twitter? Uh, I do sometimes. If yeah. somebody asks me a legitimate question and yeah. they're being genuine about it, I will try to answer them or I'll try to get Mario to send something, yeah. right? Because I do want to be able to provide those kinds of answers and education. Um, but as you all know, right, no matter what you say, there's a handful of bots. There's yeah. a handful of people that are just angry. Um, and sometimes it's safer to just not say as much. But we do still share charts. And, and I do make a really concerted effort to share stuff that actually is completely contradictory to what my opinion is, yeah. right? Because it's, I want to show that, I, hey, I know this stuff is out there, right? I'm watching it too. I get it that this data does not prove my point. Yeah. And it is interesting to look at. And it is something that I take into the process. Um, so I don't want to look like I have my head buried in this. Guy, Dan, hold on. This? Before yeah. we go to Butters, and yeah. I have to allow you to speak because we, what do they call it when you clip something and put it? We clip it and we put it on the on the web. Oh, it's crazy that they would yeah. call it that. So I want it to be clean, but we need a an update. Um, how did Mario do on his jury duty? I mean, he he did well. He did well. It was uh, apparently not a super juicy case, but really? see, I was thinking that Mario Yesterday guy was... is is more like 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 Alphabet's Bard or or, or my Microsoft's Chat GPT. Like it, it's it's <laughs> Mario is just like this sentient being that that right. is Could like be. you know what I mean like no, so so she yeah, we haven't met him, him well like you made up that ago. story about his his jury duty <laughs> so we all think he's not some like bot that you have you just missed him you just oh mario was just here i know the whole routine yeah sure well until we meet mario until he comes on the market call um we're not sure that he actually exists all right, let's do this thing here, Guy. You know what time it is. It's Thursday. It's towards the end of market call. Every Thursday, we get a preview at John Butter's Earnings Insight blog over there at, at Set. Um, we love John's work. And I think this is a really important set of data here. We track this towards the end of each quarter because, you know, we've been talking about how the Fed has really been the main event in 2023. And I think a lot of market participants have really followed the direction of interest rates and the like here. But right now, I, I believe as we kind of get into mid-July, it's really going to be about earnings and it's going to be about guidance for at least Q3, maybe the companies that are brave enough to give, you know, the six month guidance or so. But John's tracking the analysts that are actually cutting estimates in the S&P 500 companies in Q2 2023 by 2.7% in aggregate. During the quarter, this decline is smaller than the five-year average, the 10-year average, the 15-year average, and the 20-year average. Now, what's interesting to me about this, guys, and Liz, I'd love to get your take on this, is that over the course of 2022, John's work was suggesting that, you know, it was death by a thousand cuts, right? Analysts kept on lowering over the course and they were actually above those five, 10, 20 year averages, that sort of thing. And by the time we got to earnings, the, the estimates were already low enough. So companies were coming in line and then they were able to actually kind of give downbeat sort of guidance that was kind of in line with, you know, the and, and stocks rally, you know what I mean? So like we kept on getting that sort of thing or we'd rally into them. Talk to me about, Flipping that around now, the mm -hmm. market's up a lot. The S&P's up 14% of the year. The NASDAQ's up 30%. And now the average cuts are coming in less than the, you know what I mean? So what does what, what the setup look like here? Well, I think we already cut a lot of it out. Um, and we cut down to a level where earnings are flat year over year, right? Which is not an impressive number, yep. especially given NASDAQ up 30% for the year. So that's Year to date, NASDAQ up 30%, earnings expected to be flat broadly year mm -hmm. over year. That doesn't match up, right? And 
And it goes with the theme that I've been talking about. One of them is going to be wrong. Either either earnings are going to have to really surprise on the upside and show some fundamental support for these valuation expansions, or valuations are going to have to just kind of let some air out of the balloon. As far as, and I think I, I talked about this last week, analysts are not immune to sentiment shifts. Analysts are not immune to prices skyrocketing, mm -hmm. right? And if they see their price target go completely bonkers, right? And you've got a stock that kills it. It's like, oh my gosh, I was wrong. I underestimated the strength of this company. Nobody wants to be wrong on that side either. So I think that there's some sentiment at play here. But the other thing is also remembering the calendar, right? We're now going to start talking about 2024 earnings and yep. those are pretty lofty. So if we have to start justifying how we're going to get to those lofty 2024 earnings expectations, maybe the cuts slow down. I think we probably need some sort of shock to get the cuts to come down to where perhaps the three of us think they should be or where some of the more bearish estimates on the street think they should be, whether that's Mike Wilson or, or some others. But so far, there hasn't been a good shock, right? And yeah. you're going to have to see margins really contract for that to happen. So what this suggests now is there was more room for error for companies. So if companies had a shitty quarter, but wasn't as shitty as analysts suggested, they were being rewarded for it. Now, the margin of error is a lot smaller for them to have a shitty quarter and still have their stock go up. So they better be in line or slightly better because now being lousy, but being less lousy than the analysts thought uh, is not going to cut it. And I think if I were to synthesize anything, glean anything, that's how I would look at this, Dan. Yeah. And then let's look on the sector level, because I think this is kind of interesting at this, uh, the energy material sectors are the largest decreases in EPS estimates for Q2 2023. What's interesting to me about that, guys, is that maybe that's more reflective of the real economy, you know, and, and the potential for a slowing. Um, on the other hand, the communication services and information tech sectors witnessed the largest increases in EPS estimates. All right. So this is really important. And this is related to the AI stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were expecting declining margins, weakening earnings in, in some of the big you know tech platform names they've actually had positive revisions and that's one of the reasons why i think some of these strategists have kind of turned their tide a little bit because they know what a huge contributor they are to s p earnings and then analysts also lowered eps estimates for q2 23 down 1.4 percent and q4 23 1.1 percent during the quarter okay so that gets to the, the you know as we get into 2024 so liz thoughts on the sector level I mean, the sectors, you know, cyclical sectors, actually, I'd had a conversation with the real person named Mario today about if you had to start buying, what would you do? And, and you know, he knows that I've been pretty cautious and he sort of asked me if would you stay on the sidelines forever? And I said, no, absolutely not. And I do think that you can look at some of the cyclicals, whether it's earnings related or not, frankly, some of the cyclicals that have not kept up or even the defensives that haven't kept up. Healthcare hasn't kept up, right? You, This is a time where, because I think there's so much spread between things are going to get really bad or things are going to be really good, you have to almost allocate a portfolio the same way. You have to have something that says, all right, what if what if things are really good, right? And that's the kind of stuff where you want momentum-y stuff in there, which is probably tech, probably communications, consumer discretionary, small caps I would almost put in that category too. And then on the other side, what if things are really bad? That's where you want some of those defensives. But I do think, particularly in the cyclical sectors, it's okay to start thinking about where you would enter, mm -hmm. where you would drip in, even if they pull back first. And they will, right? If we hit the skids, they definitely will. 
It's interesting. I look at this. I know we got an Audi 5000, Dan. Um, you know, look at that energy at the bottom of the group, uh, 14%. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So if I were to be consistent with what I said before, the energy sector probably has far more wiggle room for their stocks to do better. In other words, you know, they have a lot of room for error in terms of earnings for them to be rewarded if it's not as bad as this suggests. By the way, as we get out of here, if any of you people are going out the shade tonight and you see Elizabeth, <laughs> do not get in her kitchen. Do not make fun of the fact that she is waving her brewer's colors. She is allowed to do that. Okay. Anything that is said, I take as a personal affront and you will have to deal with me at a later date. Back to you, Dan. <laughs> All right. Um, that was, uh, listen, what I would say is if you see Liz out there, just go buy her a beer and a hot dog and say happy birthday, lady. Okay, you know what I mean? Enjoy, like right? Yes, you're right, 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 right. Um, all right, that was it. That was fun. We had Liz in studio here. Always fun, guy. You um are gonna say jackass it into the city right now. That's why he's all knotted up because we have an on-the-tape podcast, and then we have CNBC's fast money at five o'clock. Also, guy, what do you and I do Mondays now? Monday on the Sirius XM radio on Elizabeth's birthday. That would be July 3rd, half day for the market. We will be doing Sirius XM business radio, 132 noon Eastern time. Typically we'll take your calls Monday. We won't as this will be sort of a live to tape as they say, but we will field questions on the Twitter. This will be Dan. I believe the fourth week that we've done it. Oddly enough, two weeks will have been, live to tape two weeks live, but moving forward, you'll have us in studio being able to field calls. If you have any questions, Dan, email Amanda at contact at riskreversal.com. Yep. There you go. All right. We'll be back in the studio. Hopefully Liz, you will join us some Monday at noon Eastern because I think the people would love to see you there in that studio um, just down the hall from Howard Stern. It's pretty cool. Oh, do we We're, get to stop in at Howard if Howard's the there? Way? I'm sure. I'm sure he's a huge yeah, EY yeah, from SoFi yeah, fan yeah. guy. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you think so? He just what got up. He just got done, you know, interviewing the boss and like Eddie Vedder, and yeah, he's like, probably I've dying to interview category. EY from SoFi. Yeah, all right, guy, take on. us out, buddy. Uh, he's only human after all, so of course he is. But that's it for today's market call. I want to, by the way, Millie's last day back there in headquarters. Oh, Shout out to Kylie's Millie. last day. Oh, it's Kylie's last day. Yeah. Start this again. I want to give a shout out to Kylie. It's Kylie's last day. She's headed back to the Yale. It's not the, it's just Yale, but she's been fantastic. Millie is still with us. Obviously, great job, Jacob, Amanda, and Stephen Rafis, who I adore. Elizabeth Young, thank you. Have fun at the game. Be courteous to her. And obviously, we'll talk before your birthday, but happy early birthday. I want to thank SoFi. Dan, get your money right all in one app. And of course, facts at Financial Data and Analytics powered by tomorrow. Unless something odd happens tomorrow, next time you'll see us will be Tuesday for Market Call. But as we mentioned earlier, Monday noon, Sirius XM, Business Radio 132. The number to call in will be put in what? What do they call those things? The show notes, Dan? They call them the show notes. Go figure. See you later. See you later. <laughs>